You're listening to the Living Presence Podcast, exploring faith, meeting the world, from East Gwillimbury, Ontario. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Living Presence Podcast. Whether you are already part of a faith community or simply curious and exploring, I am so pleased you've decided to tune in. My name is Brianne Swan, and I am the community minister with the Living Presence Ministry, which is an emergent ministry of the United Church of Canada and operates on the traditional territory of the Chippewa of Georgina Island First Nation. I am coming to the end of this round of classes at the Center for Christian Studies here in Winnipeg, so I'm still on my portable setup. I really like Winnipeg. It's growing on me, especially since Southern Ontario has been completely dumped with snow this weekend. Well, Winnipeg has received almost nothing. So thanks, Manitoba. But it's been a bit of a busy week here. I've mentioned before on this show that I am a friend and accompanier to a few men on Texas's death row. The number of men goes up and down depending on who Texas actually executes. But last week, Texas had scheduled to kill a man by the name of Patrick Murphy. I'd only had a single contact with Mr. Murphy before last week, so I do not know him, but I have friends who know him well. And so I planned, as I often do, to watch the protests outside the prison that are live-streamed on Facebook. I invited some friends from class to join me, since I'm not sure what better intersection of power and privilege and health, pain, and trauma, which were our two courses this spring, I'm not sure what better intersection you can get than the United States executing its citizens. In this case, Mr. Murphy hadn't actually murdered anybody. He was convicted under the law of parties. He was part of a group of seven escaped prisoners. One of them killed a police officer Mr. Murphy was three blocks away, but all seven men were sentenced to death. So, my lovely friends sat with me to watch the protest as we waited to hear what the Supreme Court would decide regarding the last-ditch effort Mr. Murphy's lawyers made to save his life. They argued that since Mr. Murphy was Buddhist, he should be allowed to have a Buddhist priest with him in the execution chamber. Now, the chaplain who is with the inmate during the execution is an employee of the prison. People don't get their own spiritual advisor with them. But if you are Christian, you get to at least have somebody of your own faith background. And since the Supreme Court had just recently ruled on a similar case involving a Muslim inmate, we weren't very hopeful that the Supreme Court would rule in Mr. Murphy's favor. The man in Alabama had wanted an imam with him. The motion was denied and he was executed a few hours later. 
But two hours after Mr. Murphy's execution had been scheduled to take place, we got the news. He received a stay. The court ruled that if Christians can have somebody of their faith background in with them, Buddhists should too. So the execution is off for now. And I was so excited that I didn't even bother to read who wrote a concurring opinion. And when I did later on, I was completely shocked because it was Brett Kavanaugh. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you might remember an episode we did exploring the story of David and Bathsheba against the testimony of Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh prior to his swearing in to the Supreme Court. I am no fan of Brett Kavanaugh. And last month, he actually denied the request of Dominique Ray to have his imam present during the execution. So I'm sitting with this strange feeling about this person who from everything I have seen and read of him, I do not like and goes counter to almost all of my values. And yet... He was absolutely instrumental in sparing the life of somebody who is deeply cared about by people close to me. What the heck? I'm not even sure what to do with that, except to think about it alongside some scripture, which we are going to hear in just a moment. On this week's show, we're going to listen to a well-known story, Jesus telling the parable of the prodigal son, and a little more about my failings in love and acceptance. Oh boy. We have poetry by Sarah Eyre of A Sanctified Art, and music by Rai Cooter, but first, here is Ainsley McNeeny and her song, Better Days, from her 2008 album, True Story Orchestra. You can find Ainsley online at www.ainsleymcneeny.com or by going to our show notes. Stay 
Hi, I'm Richard Bond, currently in Toronto, Ontario, in the public space of the building which houses the General Council Office of the United Church of Canada. This reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 to 3 and 11b to 32. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there, he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a rope, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has filled the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. 
He was lost and has been found. That was Richard Bott, current moderator of the United Church of Canada, reading from the Gospel of Luke. So the Revised Common Lectionary, it does this thing, and you've heard me talk about it before. It's kind of annoying. But what Richard read for us is just part of a larger conversation. The story of the prodigal son has been lifted out from a mini-series of three parables, each dealing with something being lost, found again, and the resulting celebration within the community. But before we get to the stories, we have the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are grumbling. Jesus has been eating with sinners and tax collectors, effectively dishonoring himself, and the Pharisees, they don't like it. So in the rhetorical style of the time, Jesus begins to tell some stories to illustrate his point. He begins talking about a lost sheep. The shepherd leaves all their other sheep to find the one that is lost. And when the sheep is found, the shepherd invites the community to celebrate. And then there is a woman who has ten coins, but has lost one. From other translations of the scripture passage, we know that this coin is not particularly valuable. But the woman turns her house upside down. I've had visions of her going through all of the cushions, shaking out the dirty laundry, and pulling all the pockets inside out until she finds it. And she invites the community to celebrate. And then there's this final story that Richard read for us. The difference here is that the younger son in this story, he actually has some agency. I grew up around sheep. And I can tell you that they do not have much capacity for planning and strategy. Coins do not choose to be lost. They simply are. But the younger son in this story is making a very deliberate choice. By asking his share of the inheritance, he's effectively wishing and acting as if his father is dead. Actually, not only the father, but his older brother as well. It would have been an incredibly brazen and outlandish request, and equally outlandish that the father would go along with it. So off the son goes, and he lives lavishly. In art, he is usually depicted alongside sex workers drinking his face off. And then, unsurprisingly, he runs out of resources. A famine hits, and he becomes an indentured servant feeding pigs. Now remember, Jesus is a Jewish man speaking to a Jewish audience. For this man to be interacting with an unclean animal, such as a pig, would have been about as low as you can get. The A&E reality show Intervention would probably consider this rock bottom. But then the younger brother 
realizes that even the servants in his father's house have food to eat. So he rehearses a speech, acknowledging that he is no longer worthy to be considered a son. There is a moment of repentance, not necessarily remorse. I can't tell if he's sorry, sorry for how he acted towards his family, but perhaps that's not really the point. He does seem as if he is repentant, though. Metanoia is the Greek word which is often translated as repent in English versions of the Bible. What metanoia really means is more of a complete change in mind and spirit, which results in a complete change of action going forward. So does the younger brother feel badly about what he did? Maybe, probably, but he has certainly changed. And in that change, he goes off to meekly ask for his father's mercy. He hardly gets the chance though. The father sees him coming from a ways down the road and then the father runs to meet him. This is another example of a shameful act. Men of status did not run. Women ran, children ran, servants ran, not heads of households. Except for this father. He runs to meet his son and throws himself on his neck. He orders the calf killed and throws a party. What was lost has now been found, and there is a celebration. Everything works out okay, unless you're the calf. Or unless you're the older brother. He is not happy. He says, I have worked for you. I have obeyed you. I have done all of the right things. And I have never been able to party with my friends. What the actual hell? I cannot tell you the number of times I have heard this story with some preacher or workshop facilitator asking me to imagine which character I am in this story. Dutch priest, author, and all-around spiritual badass Henry Nouwen wrote a wonderful book about the return of the prodigal son, which I will link to in the show notes. In it, he reflects on his relationship to all three characters in this story. Ideally, I think my school would hope I could see myself in all three characters, at least in different moments of my life. And if I had to write a paper about that, I could probably muster up something minorly convincing. But honestly, if I am speaking from my most authentic place, my deepest self, I know that I am the older brother. 100% I am the older brother. 
And that makes me sad because the older brother is totally the antagonist in this story. He has worked hard. He has obeyed his father. He has maintained his honor and his father's honor. I am an oldest child. I'm the oldest of four. And there was a running joke when I was a kid that my name must be somebody. Because if ever my parents asked somebody to do something, pick up the clothes, get something from the car, wash the dishes, I was the one who did it. But the son in this story, he obeys out of duty. He's not obeying out of love. And this is a good place to remember who Jesus is telling the story to. The sinners, the tax collectors, and the Pharisees. The United Church of Canada has a number of faith statements. Our most recent statement from 2006 is called A Song of Faith. It is a profound piece of poetry exploring many aspects to the nature of God and our spiritual lives. It is quite long, so it is not often used in worship services. But there is a section that deals specifically with the concept of sin. And it goes like this. Made in the image of God, we yearn for the fulfillment that is life in God. And yet we choose to turn away from God. We surrender ourselves to sin. A disposition revealed in selfishness, cowardice, and apathy. Becoming bound and complacent in a web of false desires and wrong choices. We bring harm to ourselves and others. This brokenness in human life and community is an outcome of sin. Traditionally, the characters in this parable are understood to be as the younger son representing the lost, the low, and those separated from God, that is, the sinners and the tax collectors. The father in the story is an ever-present, ever-waiting, ever-patient, and ever-loving God who rejoices at the return of their children. And the older son is the Pharisees, those within the religious elite who already live righteous lives, or at least righteous by the social standards of the day, but who also have the privilege of getting to spend all of their days thinking and being with God. So, if I so clearly see myself as the older brother in this story, who does that make the younger brother? Because, for the most part, I am pretty good with social outcasts. 
after years of being in relationship with death row inmates. I have learned a lot about what it means to live on the margins and what the costs are of that. I have been humbled by the grace and redemption that I have witnessed within these most vulnerable of communities. If this is the definition of sinner, then I would be throwing a party without a second thought. But if we keep reading the Song of Faith, there is much more to say about what sin is. It goes on, Sin is not only personal, but accumulates to become habitual in systemic forms of injustice, violence, and hatred. We are all touched by this brokenness, the rise of selfish individualism that erodes human solidarity, the concentration of wealth and power without regard for the needs of all, the toxins of religious and ethnic bigotry, the degradation of the blessedness of human bodies and human passions through sexual exploitation, the delusion of unchecked progress and limitless growth that threatens our home, the earth, the covert despair that lulls many into numb complicity with empires and systems of domination. We sing lament and repentance. As the story of the prodigal son has seeped into popular consciousness, the word prodigal is often thought to mean someone who has left and then come back again. If I happen to go too long without visiting my grandmother, she will, only half-jokingly, say that her prodigal granddaughter has returned. But prodigal does not mean lost. It actually means lavish and wasteful. So the younger son wasted his resources on that which had no real value. Those within the throes of political power seemed to continue wasting resources on military, horse racing, on insider deals and cover-ups, at the expense of education systems which are crumbling, children who are going hungry, and the lonely who are becoming more isolated. It is a wasteful use of resources. So yeah, if suddenly the people holding all the power suddenly had a moment of metanoia, completely changing their thinking and actions, that would be a cause for celebration within the community because there would be powerful implications for this kind of turnaround. And really, I should be there celebrating. But it would be, and is, so, so, so very hard. Anger and resentment have a way of poisoning us.
So this story is something of a warning to me about never shutting myself off, never closing myself off to that which should be a celebration. There is always space for repentance, for metanoia. And the father of this story got it. God's love is creative and self-giving. The opposite of waste is valuing, holding on, not in a covetous way, more like cherishing. The father continues to cherish his son. God continues to cherish their children. So can I cherish even the people who grind my gears, who piss me off the most, who have turned their back on everything I value about how to be a decent human being in the world? Would I ever accept them? It would be hard. We don't know what happens at the end of this story. Does the older brother join the party? And then after the party, does the father ever sit down with the younger brother and say, okay, glad you're back, but can we talk about this whole squandering your inheritance thing? I want to know what you've learned. We don't know how it ends. So I feel a little bit better about not having everything figured out. But if nothing else, if we take nothing else from this passage, this is what we can cherish and hold on to. Nothing, absolutely nothing we do, say, put into action, break, or turn our back on, can ever irreparably separate us from God, from spirit and from that which is holy love. And that, my friends, is cause for celebration.
That was Rye Cooter and his 2018 single, Prodigal Son. You can find him online at www.ryecooter.com or by going to our show notes. Cultivating Week 4 by Sarah Eyre I have come to believe that it is harder to cry under an open sky. So when life falls apart, throw open the windows, invite the sun into your shadows, lie in the grass and let the sun mistake you for flowers. Maybe this is step one in cultivating, for flowers do not grow by mistake. They need the sun, just like we need love, and time, and the grace to try again. So put your body where the warmth is. You will find God there. She is warmth, and you will know it, and you will feel strong. Put your body where the warmth is. Maybe this is step one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back next week when I am back in Ontario with a story about ointment, perfume, and an incredibly misunderstood act of generosity. We'll have new music and poetry, but until then, 
take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by the Living Presence Ministry, a community ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find us online at www.livingpresenceministry.org.